It was a great week. I'm very thankful for uh, Pastor George Grace and Mark Trotter and uh, their just quality investment in us. And I just can't thank God enough for just how we have been poured into. And it's funny you say best oh, camp ever. Absolutely. I think you said that last year too, right? <laughs> and the year before. I think this one beat it last year. Yeah, I'm telling you. Um, I, I will tell you as as benefactors of, of their investment, I can't tell you how much time goes into doing what they did. Yes. You, you'll never, which is fine. You don't really have to know or fully understand, but I can promise you countless hours, countless hours go into preparing to teach that. <laughs> so very, very thankful. But we're going to continue in Colossians next week. This morning, I, I just want to, uh, very similar to what, what, what Carla did and what Mark did and Jason as well, What just I just want to share with you just some high-level takeaways that I got from the Lord this week that I think hopefully will be uh, both encouraging and challenging to us as a fellowship of, of believers. Starting with George, there were two vital takeaways that really struck a chord with my heart that I just, I just, it was just from the Lord. It was very precious. It was very gold. The first one is this, and again, you don't have to take notes. There, that's what I'm saying. There's, this isn't a handout, typical fill in the blank. I, this is just, I just took my heart and wrote out a few, or put some things on paper that I, that meant something to me that could mean something to you. But one of the, the first and great takeaways that I got from George Grace is this, is I wrote it down, I want to age well. I want to age well. Uh, he stated yesterday that he's 73 years old. He, he said that. And that really, really caught my attention. But I will tell you this, he is the closest thing that I've seen in my lifetime that I can remember He's the closest thing to Caleb in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. who also aged very well. So I'm going to ask you to do something that we almost never do in life. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bible, okay? <laughs> or click in your, on your device or whatever you have to Joshua 14, where we see this about Caleb. Joshua 14, beginning in verse 10. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. As he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. So Caleb has lived through the wilderness experience. Now let me tell you, there are wilderness experiences that when the dust clears on them, we can find ourselves left standing, holding a cup of bitterness. I mean, life is going to happen to all of us. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you do. I mean, you can make all the right decisions. But listen, life is going to happen to all of us. All of us, none of us are going to escape those wilderness experiences that are very hard and discouraging and hurtful. All of that. 
And when the dust clears on those things, we can find ourselves just bitter and disappointed and disenchanted with life and with God himself, right? Verse 11, as yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Caleb wasn't just doing time on earth, just existing. He was still living. That's George Grace. Like, I remember listening to George Grace at KCBT when I was just a babe in Christ, and he's still the same guy. Like, that's still George. Like, if if you queued him up from KCBT back in the 90s, you go, yeah, same guy. He sounds the same, same energy, same vigor, same enthusiasm, all that. So in his old age, Caleb was still clinging to the promises of God, and he still had this zest and this vigor for life. He wasn't this old, stale, crusty dude, right? That's what I see in George Grace, and it's beautiful. And unfortunately, though, for too many people, they age like Isaac did. Did you look at Genesis 27, verse 1? And I, and I think this really captures how it's going to go down for most of us. You're either going to be a Caleb or an Isaac in your aging process. For too many people, it's Isaac. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his eldest son, and said unto him, My son, and he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold now, I am old, I know not the day of my death. Now, Isaac thinks he's done here. I mean, he, he thinks this is it. I'm, I'm getting ready to die. Any day now. I'm at the end of my life. Uh, Bible students understand that he could not have been more incorrect in his assumptions. Because Isaac would live another four decades after this. I think it was 43 years. He was so far from the grave. And I've observed this about too many people. Uh, too many people die years before they take their last breath. Too many people die years before they take their last breath. They age like Isaac, and in more ways than one, they're blind. They have no vision in life, no vision for life. They're just taking up oxygen. That's it. That's it. God may as well be dead because, as far as they're concerned, there's nothing to live for, nothing to trust Him for. Those days are long gone. Man, those days are so far in the rearview mirror, forget about it. They subconsciously view the aging process as a curse from God to man. It's a curse. Like God, God just teased me with this life experience where He allowed me to be born and have this youth at one point in my life, but man, at a certain point, it's all just downhill. Right? He won't let me, I, I'll never forget, this. I read this before, that, that one of the reasons that people 
struggle and wrestle with death is because it's not optional. So like, how dare God, how would, why would he allow me to age, but not allow me to be young again? It's just how they view it. It's, it's this curse, and so tragically, they are just continually negative, sour, cantankerous, miserable. They allow themselves to be haunted by the past, whatever happened, and they're just governed by bitterness. They're just perpetually bitter. That's an awful existence for a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be like Caleb in heart where as long as I have life, as long as the Lord has me here, I, I want to be used of him. Like I, I don't, retirement is not in my, in my vocabulary. I don't care what happens on paper or financially. There's never a point in my life where, listen, the moment that I am of no use to the Lord, I'm done. It's time for me to go. But as long as I have breath in my lungs and, and I've got my mental capacities, I, man, if I'm just holding the door, I got it. I want to be a Caleb in heart. Does that make sense? I still want to be trusting God for things. Sam does this a lot, where he envisions us, where he'll talk about us having to be wheeled around in wheelchairs at conferences at all the churches that God used us to plant. Man, what a vision. What a vision. Sam's a Caleb in heart. Not that he's that old, but, but as he's getting older, Sam's vision is as sharp as it's ever been, and it's, and it's only getting bigger. I've learned to hold my breath when Sam starts talking about things like that because I know it's going to kill him. We're going to do it one way or the other. <laughs> I mean, some of the things that Sam, it's like, well, all right, I know this This all seems like we're just being, but this is going down. <laughs> At some point, we, we will pull the trigger on this. Here's the other takeaway I got from George. Not only do I want to age well, but I want to enjoy my wife. I want to enjoy being married to her every day. Amen. of my life. Whether your marriage is doing well or lousy or somewhere in between, I would beg you to go back and listen to George's message Thursday morning. Wow. Oh, man. Did God use that? Praise the Lord. Maybe it's me, but from listening to that, the Holy Spirit just stirred my heart for my wife. Because... If many people aren't aging well, guess what that means? What that also means is marriages aren't aging well either. Can I tell you one of the saddest testimonies I've ever heard over the years? I've heard a few. This is one of the saddest. There was a man who was highly respected in a very prestigious fellowship and I mean he was known this was the guy when you heard his name you just thought oh yeah wow man he's coming he's speaking I'm there 
But out of the mouth of one of his grandkids, I heard them say that all he did with his wife, all they ever did was fight. They just fought constantly. They just fought all that. I mean, here's a guy who led countless people to Christ and, and ministered to countless churches and countless pastors and did countless things for God. But the testimony of one of his grandkids, all they did was fight. Him and grandma, all they did was fight. And they tell stories about them yelling at each other back and forth and just contentious and negative and sour and bitter. And I'm like, completely changed my view of the man. Listen, man, let me tell you something. I don't care how much Bible you know. I don't care how much energy you have and passion you have to serve the Lord, how you can give this dynamic presentation of yourself in front of a crowd. If you haven't learned how to get along and enjoy your wife, please sit down and be quiet. You don't belong in front of anybody. After George's testimony on Thursday, after his message, uh, Lori stayed behind with the kids, but I I texted this to her because I, I just, I had so much in my heart and there was so much I wanted to say because I was so touched and so moved and I heard from God and I was so thankful. But I texted her and I said, Lori, I love you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And I meant every word of that. And she responded with, were you listening to George Grace? <laughs> <laughs> smiley face yes I was I was listening very carefully and she responded with I love you too and I miss you but she didn't say that she wanted to spend the rest of her life with me so maybe I'm the guy who needs to sit down and let Larry come up and finish <laughs> so uh Maybe we should listen to his message again together. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All joking aside, at 73, it is obvious to me that George is still investing in his marriage. Still investing in his wife. They're not just doing time together. One of my observations about marriage is that as marriages age, too many spouses become Socially, emotionally, and physically lazy. Just lazy. Meaningful conversations stop. Being genuinely interested in one another. Gone. Physical intimacy becomes the exception to the rule. And when it does occur, it's so lukewarm that it comes across like a homework assignment. Something that we have to do. There's no more dating. There's no more fun. We're just doing time together. It's an arrangement. Would you look at 
Proverbs 5. I know, how dare I ask you to turn? You mean you don't have this on PowerPoint? What's wrong with you? Right? Proverbs 5, verses 18 and 19. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as a loving hind and pleasant roe, and let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. Obviously, we get the physical message here. That's very obvious to us, but implied here as well, listen, is a man who is happily married to his wife. He is enjoying her every day. He's thankful that she's his wife. He's, you know what the highlight of his day is? Is when he gets to get into his car after work and go home to her. He's enjoying being with her on every level. Men, I've learned this. Husbands, I've learned this. Your wife is only going to be as excited about your marriage and as excited about being married to you as you are excited about being married to her. If many men were honest as their marriage has gone on, they have found that their wife has become unattractive on every level. Physically, socially, emotionally, spiritually. They do not find her attractive. She does nothing for them. Some wonder how or why they married her to begin with. Where was I? What was I thinking at that point? What did I miss? I, I'll never forget, I was riding in a car years ago with a man that I respect very highly. And he said this to me, and it absolutely froze me. He said, sometimes I wonder if I married the wrong person. Here's a man who knows the Bible very well. Seminary student. Pastoral ambitions. And I'm driving and it's one of those. <laughs> Men, can you imagine Christ ever saying, you know, I wonder if I should have saved Kenny. Hmm. She's become that unattractive. It's that the man has failed. Here's the issue. The man has failed to become more like Christ over the lifetime of the marriage. That's the issue. It's not that she's become unattractive. It's that he has failed to become more like Christ. This is George. This is what I'm saying. George, at heart, he's a Caleb. 
he hasn't he didn't stop he hasn't stopped growing. He's still pursuing the Lord, which is why he still has an interest and a and a zeal and a passion and a love for his wife. So when a man is not growing and becoming more like Christ over the lifetime of the marriage, listen, when it comes to his wife, he doesn't have Christ's mind, he doesn't have Christ's eyes, and he doesn't have Christ's heart toward her. Which is why she's not attractive to him anymore. So when that's lacking... Well, then here we go. Here's what happens. So now, the focus of the marriage becomes the mortgage, the bills, college tuition, or please have grandkids. Why? Because that's the only attachment I have to intimacy. Relational intimacy and enjoyment and fulfillment. And so you have this wife who's now a grandmother and she's just living from one birthday party to one Easter to one Thanksgiving to one Christmas to one graduation to one kid's performance. Why? Because that's where she gets intimacy. Because she's not getting it from him because, eh, honey, you just don't do it for me anymore. breaks my heart for some wives they feel like they are nothing more than they're like the coffee table in the living room just a piece of furniture not sure he even recognizes me anymore pastor brandon and i we were riding back together yesterday and i shared with him something that i share in every round of premarital counseling i share this every time but one of my worst fears in marriage, one of my worst fears is to come to the place, and you've seen it, I promise you you have, you've seen it, is to become the couple in marriage that you've seen in the restaurant. They've been married 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And they're sitting across from one another in a restaurant and they are looking around at everything and everyone except one another. And I've seen it. I've seen the wife who is sitting across from a husband who is, his head is down and he's into his food and, and he'll look up every now and then and look over here, look over there. And she has locked in, because my family has been that for her sometimes. She is locked in on this family that they're together. And they seem to be enjoying life. And her heart is breaking because she wants that. She wants to enjoy it again. That terrifies me. To think that Lori and I could actually go out on a date. Now, I will say, and I've said this before, ladies, please hear me. Okay, this is going to be uncomfortable, but, but bear with me. This will be uncomfortable for Larry. But okay. hang, hang, hang with me. Okay, so okay. Yeah. No, no, no. This is. Oh, we've all been there, right? We th This is. This is very uncomfortable for men. If you notice, when men talk, men don't talk like this. Men will talk like this. Because for men, this is confrontational. Eye to eye, face to face, that's confrontational. So. 
when I'm out with Lori and we're on we're at dinner or lunch or whatever, I want her next to me. And I love it when her arm is interlocked in my arm. I'm to me that says now, and again, I think that's also biblical because where was Eve taken? From his side. Right? Oh, I want her next to me. And then I'm totally relaxed. And we can talk and whatnot, right? But either way, to get to that place where we can't do that anymore. Oh, what are we doing? So many married couples have essentially quit on each other. They've melded in. Their marriage is all but dead, and while they won't talk about it, they know it's true. And if you take away the mortgage, and you take away the kids, and you take away all the stuff that allows them to be preoccupied with any and everything except them, they have nothing. But they've reasoned that, listen, it's just too hard, it's just too uncomfortable to deal with. So we'll just keep doing time until it's over. I am who I am, they are who they are, and our marriage is what it is. What are you going to do? That's tragic. You know, more than a few spouses have wept at the funeral of their spouse. Not because they're gone, but they wept because of what they didn't do while they were here. Because they sat through all church retreat and they heard George or they sat through a conference or they sat through a series and they heard from God. And they knew exactly what they needed to do and, and, and all of that. But you know what they just said, it, you know. That, that, that is just, man, that is so uncomfortable. And now they're gone, and so is the opportunity. All of this is a symptom of what Mark Charter spent his time on, which Mark and everybody did a good job of, of just recapturing, but, but giving us this pattern for prayer based on the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And... Here's the bottom line for all of us guys is, and I can't, I can't escape this, but you need to understand, I'll be reminded of the fact that intimacy in marriage is always driven and determined by intimacy with God. You can't have, you can't have one without the other. As a matter of fact, this one drives this one. If you don't have this, you're not going to have it horizontally. So the absence of meaningful communication, connection, and marriage is simply a reflection of a lack of meaningful communication and connection with God. It shows up. Mark made this very simple but I think profound statement. He said, we do not come into God's presence to petition him. And for so many of us, that statement is an indictment against our prayer lives because that's all that it's become. It's an opportunity for me to give God my wish list. 
There's no relationship. But he's like the rich uncle who's loaded, he's got it, he can do it, so hey, here's what I need. Give it to me. I'm not interested in you. I just want what you can do for me. If you think that doesn't carry over into marriage, you are sadly mistaken. So in prayer, many of us, we talk at God. We don't talk to him. So when you follow the pattern of the tabernacle, it moves you and it forces you to talk to God beyond just the wish list. And so with God, our relationship can become very law-driven. I do... I have a quiet time every day. I pray every day. I tithe. I even, I support Boston. I go to LFBI. I go to Tuesday night prayer. I serve in this ministry, that ministry. We're good, right? But we can't agree with the psalmist who said this in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. We can't agree with him here. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for thee, God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? We don't have that kind of relationship. We're like the church at Ephesus, so many of us. Sacrificing. Suffering. But we've left our first love. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Our time is just about... I'm going to ask you to do something this week. Would you take this week to fully and properly meditate on the things that you heard from God this week at camp? And if that means you go back and watch all the videos again, you should do that. Would you meditate and pray on those things and listen... Whatever confessions you need to have with the Lord, do it. Don't rush, please. And this is what happens is, is we go to something like that. Oh man, that was so great. And then Monday hits and we get right back into it. And that's gone. However you need the Lord to help you, ask Him. Alright, here we go. So one of the things that you learn to do in pastoral ministry over time is you learn to be honest with yourself about expectations. So what I'm about to tell you, I'm going to tell you now, not all of you are going to do it. That's just the reality. I know it, okay? But whatever discussions you need to have with your spouse based on what you heard this week and what you heard this morning. Do it. You know how many times I will say something like this and it will get back to me eventually that my spouse just, they, they wouldn't do it. Please hear this. If doing that leads to a quarrel... You didn't hear from God properly. Because let me tell you something. If I heard what I know you heard this week, and what I believe you're hearing this morning,
if I'm in your shoes and I have to go to Lori to have that conversation, I can promise you how I'm not going to approach it. Boy, I sure hope you were listening. <laughs> Did you get that? That's guaranteed. You're going to fight. I can tell you how that's going down. Honey, I'm so sorry. You know what I realized? I realized how do you fight with that? It's impossible. Amen.